morning, everybody. So I'm just going to read straight out of the sheet, so um, you've got those in front of you. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 5. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Who has a GPS? Anybody? Who remembers Gregory's? Ah, okay. Pardon? A UBD before that? And what was before the UBD? Yep, strip maps. Remember? If you wanted to go somewhere, you'd go to the NRMA or go somewhere and they'd map it out for you. And uh, off you go. We've got a son at the moment who's halfway across the Nullarbor. Um, but he's the sort of person that will map out every three kilometres, you know. So he doesn't need a GPS. But you can imagine, or some of you can, a life before GPS, or even before the maps. Like Ron can remember when they handed out bits of rock with chiseled things on them. Smoke signals, there we go. Um, how about if you're going on a long trip on a holiday, how long does it take you to pack? Hmm? A day, a week, three months? We're going to find out today about a guy who was told to get up and move. His family, his livestock, all of his possessions. I mean, it must have taken them ages to get organised and then with livestock you'd probably do what? two kilometres a day, and he travelled thousands of kilometres into a space that he'd never been before. You read about it. His name was Abram. And you, this is chapter 12 of Genesis. Of course, he gets called Abraham 17 chapters in, but we're only going to cover the first, well, we're going to do 12, 13 and 15, not all of it um, today. In fact, I was going to bring my... Um, mobile up here and not having it set to the clock but to the calendar it might take me that long to get through but we're going to look at oops <laughs> yes um, my bible is kind of strange it fell apart on me and so having once had a course in bookbinding, I decided to rebind it. 
and it worked, except that it's upside down and back to front. So I got to start at the back and turn it up the other way to make it work. But that's okay. So we read this morning that the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, get up and move, leave your country. And by, at this point he was in Haran. But if you back up before that, he's in the, the place called the Ur of the Chaldees, which is way down at the, the tip of where the Euphrates and the Tigris come together. Round about the same place that they think the Garden of Eden was. For a long time, people thought that Abram was kind of like a nomadic herder. But research amongst the, the archaeologists that have happened and so on found that where he lived was quite a metropolis. There's about 25,000 people there. It was the centre of culture. They had great cultivation. It was a very, very civilised place. Very comfortable. Now, some of you know that, you know, you have all these refugees coming from places that are uncomfortable to find comfort. Not Abram and Tara, his father. They had to leave a nice, comfortable place and head to Haran. It was a well-established trade route because Haran up in the northwest of, um, from where Ur is at the mouth of, or the beginnings of the Euphrates, it was kind of like a crossroads of tourism <laughs> and trade. And so they were heading to a very, very established place and they head off. Stephen in, in Acts tells us that it was Abram himself who got the message from God. Because his father was an idolatrous pagan. You've got to remember, Ur was the centre of pagan worship for the area. Abram was brought up in a house that worshipped all these different gods. And God chose him to lead the people out into the promised land. It's an amazing story. God initiates this whole experience and a wonderful promise is given. I don't know whether you've been ever given a great promise. I mean, if you've been married, you've stood there and you've promised to be in love and take care of each other for life and so on. That's one person. He's been promised a huge new nation. God's decision to reach into humanity and specifically to create a people for himself comes in the form of a promise to Abraham. Okay, we've got a slide there, folks. We do. 
It's up there, it's not there. Okay. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So he's up in Haran. His father's died now. And now he's been given the task to leave. Now God had previously spoken and started a relationship with Abraham, with Adam, and then Noah, but now he's going to start and build a whole nation. And he makes three promises. You can see them up there. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'll curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Three promises to a pagan. Three promises to a nobody in the middle of an amazing part of this world, this Middle Eastern part that was kind of like the armpit of the world. There wasn't anything happening there. And yet God spoke and created a, per, a whole nation out of this person. Abraham, as I mentioned, was the son of a pagan idolater. And God makes these three wonderful promises. We're looking at beautiful promises for ugly people. That's the series that Les has created. I get to do the beautiful people. He gets to do the ugly ones next week. Or I get to do the beautiful promises. So we're going to look at these three promises. One at a time. The first one. He promises that he make Abraham the father of a great nation. Next one. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot, his nephew had parted from him, look around and see where you are. The north and the south, the east, the west, all the land I'll give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Imagine this. Abram and Sarah, his wife, they're well past having children. This is a ludicrous promise. I'm going to make you a nation and your descendants are going to be so much that it's like the dust of the world. And he repeats this later on in 15.5 when he says basically, Abram, go out and check the night sky. If you can, count the stars. Your descendants are going to outnumber them. 
Amazing promise here. Do you remember when you heard that you're, these are, this is for the parents, when you heard you were going to have your first child? Alexis and I went and had our first, well, celebration at a place called the Pickle Barrel. I thought that was rather um, synonymous, isn't it? Um, and we celebrated the fact we were going to have our first child at the Pickle Barrel. That was on the... Eden Expressway in Chicago. But they, they didn't have that sort of wonderful experience. He was going like, what on earth is happening here? He's going to make his descendants like the dust and his name is going to be great. You know that the Jews is not the only nation that calls Abraham, or Abram in this case, the or a great prophet of their nation. Those who are related to Abram include Jewish states. There's been kings, Jewish kings, non-Jewish kings, Consider this, today after, well, over half the world's population that are either Jewish, Muslim or Christian all call Abram in their ancestry line. They say he's a great prophet. This is him, this is his name that is spread all over the world and he's a nobody from this place called Ur. His promise that he's going to have a great nation of his descendants and his name's going to be great was an overwhelming experience for Abram. Think about that. God reaches down into humanity and chooses a nobody from a pagan nation, from a pagan family, and makes him the promise that he's going to be the father of a great nation, and his name's going to be great. Hang on to that. Let's move on to the second promise. Lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, west. I will give you the land that I see that you see, I give you, and your descendants forever. Arise, walk in the land, length, breadth, width, I'm going to give it to you. As far as you can see, Abram, you are going to be given this land. It reminded me of an ancestor of mine. He was a convict that came out in 1824. Um, he'd stolen a sheep and so when he landed in Sydney because he'd been on the land they made him an assistant to a surveyor who was surveying out over the Blue Mountains and south of there and when his seven years were up the surveyor 
said, they stood in this place and he said, as far as you can see, you can have that as your land. And so we had, back then, it was about, well, let's see, 20 kilometres of frontage road on the main road to Canberra from Yarra through, from Yass to Yarra was all Barker property. That's the way they did it. They couldn't go and uh, let's have a look at the map here. They said, as far as you can see, it's yours. And that's what he did with Abram. As far as you can see and beyond, I'm going to give that, this is your land. Not that little block that you had back in Ur. This is a big, big land. But you know, that land has been contested ever since that promise was made. Even today there are conflicts over who has the right to the promised land. Now you can look at this promised land and you can see there's Israel, there's Palestine, there's Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Iran, Iraq. All these places. The Lord promises one day it's all going to be given back to his people. Eventually Israel will inherit the land. So he makes the promise in chapter 12. He confirms it in 13. But now we're going to look at 15 where he ratifies this promise. And this is the important part we want to look at today. I told you I was going to make a calendar out of this. Next one. Okay. You, you were given in your news today... Well, that's good. I got last week's. <laughs> that's all right. Well, there's today's. Thank you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you a great land. I'll bless the people. The three promises. This is the second one. The Lord came to Abram in a vision. We don't know how he got the first call, but this time it was a vision. And he says, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm going to be your shield and I'm going to give you a great reward. But Abram says, Lord, what can you give me because I don't have any children? One of my servants, Eliezer in Damascus, he's going to inherit everything I have because I don't have an heir. And the Lord says to him, don't worry. That man is not going to be your heir. You're going to have a son of your own bloodline. And that's when he took him outside and he says, have a look at the stars. If you can count them, your descendants are going to be bigger than that. And then this amazing verse happens. Can we have a look at the next? No, sorry, I've gone one too many. 
go back. Did I give you that one? Doesn't matter, I guess. I can't get it right. At, at the chapter 15, verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteous. He says, I'm going to do these things for you, Abram. I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to give you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. And Abram believed him. And it says there, that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Abram said, But Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of this? Can you guarantee that these things are going to happen? Well, before we look at Abram's amazing promise or his amazing response to the promise, let's just stop and have a look at this verse 6. Abraham is credited with righteousness by simply believing in God's promise. Credited for righteousness. What had he done? He'd worshipped pagan gods. He had been obedient. And now he believed the promises were going to be carried through to him. Amazing. This is grace in identifiable form. Paul echoes this in Romans 4. I'm going to read you from the New Living. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about God being, being right with God? If it's his good deeds that made him acceptable, he would have something to boast about. But it was not, that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted to him, was counted him as righteous because of his faith. The NIV says when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Folks, there's a message here that echoes right through the scriptures right until the, today. We are, we are saved through faith, not works. If you go to John, the first chapter of John, he says, All who receive him, those who believe in his name, he gives the right become a child of God, children born not of natural descent, in other words, you can't inherit eternal life, nor of human decision, so it's not necessarily your own wanting to, it's not a husband's will, so you can't put up your hand for your wife, 
but it's somebody who is born of God. This is the Holy Spirit's work. But let's return to Abraham's response. Can you believe this? He's just made all these promises, he's just received all these promises, and he says, But Lord, but Lord, how can I know that these things are going to happen? Give me a guarantee. It's amazing. All of these wonderful things have been given to him and he says, hang on, hang on a minute. What guarantee can you give me? And God demonstrates his commitment in a ritual common to the day. 15, there we go. The Lord says, okay, I want you to bring me these animals I want you to cut them in half. I want you to lay them out with an alleyway between them. And Abraham did that. Then it says he stood there and he kept all of the, the carrion away, all of the birds that were coming to eat it. Must have done that all day because if you go down a little bit, it says when the sun had set, next one, and darkness had fallen, a very strange event happens. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between those two rows of carved up animals. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your, to your descendants I give the land from the wadi in Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. This is a, an amazing picture. What you have here Abraham understood. Basically he says Abraham I want you to cut a contract with me. You want proof? We're going to do this contract. I will sign it. Back in the day, this is how many of those contracts were cut. The animals were cut in half. They were laid out to the side and the two parties would walk down the middle basically saying this, if I don't keep my half of the contract, may you do to me what you have done to these animals. I'm laying my life on the line here. But we read that God had previously put Abraham to sleep to let him know that this is my covenant, my contract with you. So Abram's asleep and God in the form of the Shekinah glory, really, these burning pots and these flame, this flaming torch, they pass down the middle. What does that say to us? It says that the contract 
between Abram and God is unconditional because it is God who has made the contract. It doesn't depend on Abram being part of that. They didn't both walk down. God walked down and he said, I'm laying my life, my reputation, who I am, my word on this contract. It is unconditional, it is everlasting. You've got no role to play. There's nothing you can do to increase it or decrease it, change it. I'm making this contract with you, a beautiful promise. He says, I will make sure your descendants have the land from basically the river of Egypt, which is not the Nile, but the river of Egypt, through to the Euphrates. It's all going to be yours. It's an irrevocable contract. But there's better news. The third promise, and we better get moving on this. The third promise, to be a blessing to all people. Paul brings it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He says, In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles that we might receive this promise of the Spirit through faith. He says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, you're all one in Christ, and you are, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise of God. So when it says that you are going to be a blessing to all people, who are those recipients? Who's going to be blessed because of this promise to Abraham? All of his people? Yes. But who are the heirs? Who are the recipients of this great promise? Well, who's included? We've got the Jewish nation and we've got those who are grafted into that nation. You folk, we who are believers in Jesus are the recipients of this great promise. And what's the promise? that will be blessed. Beautiful promise. We're the ugly recipients of a beautiful promise. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been given His Spirit, the power that He has, and His grace and mercy are going to be with us all of our life. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5. I think I've got it up there, yeah. This is how Paul says that we are connected. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, and look at this next bit. God made him who was no sin to be our sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Simply put, it's this. Is that the alarm going off? It must be the alarm. 
Christ received our sin and his righteousness was credited to us, the same as Abraham. If we have our faith in Jesus, our sin is credited to him and his righteousness is credited to us and we stand in that same position. There's nothing that will change that. We are the recipients of the blessings through the Messiah. We put our faith in Christ. We receive this same grace that Adam received. So what can we take away from this, folks? Our sinfulness, our ugliness is taken away and replaced by his righteousness. We need to rejoice and live accordingly. But also, remember this, we're talking about ugly people. But there's no impediment to God's grace. doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're old or young, what colour you are, what social status you are. If God can reach into the old lives of a pagan in Ur, he can reach into a life in Evans Head, anywhere in Australia, anywhere in this world, and redeem them. So let's rejoice that the blessings that were given to an ugly person are still available through Christ to us ugly people today. Now you may not be ugly on the outside, but the Lord says we're all sinners and that ugliness is part of us. But it can be counted as righteous when we put our faith in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is a, an amazing story how you reached down, took a pagan and used him You blessed him and made him a great nation and through him we have the Messiah, the bloodline that brought Jesus to us. And we thank you that in Christ we can be blessed by that same grace. When we put our faith in him, we too can be counted as righteous. Bless those amongst us who are needing of Christ today. Bless those who are in this world. Bless them with the the knowledge of Christ that they may confess him and receive his redemption. In Jesus' name, amen.